This is the Like-Minded Investors Real Estate Podcast, episode number 11. Oh my gosh, Bill. How good is Steve? I just love his real estate investing strategy. I love everything that he had to say tonight, especially about goals. And um, I think a lot of people are going to find his 550-50 goal pretty inspiring. Yeah, I think it's a very creative and easy uh, moniker to say to kind of keep you in the mindset of, of what your what your goal ultimate goal is, I should say. Um, and I really loved how he talked about like accountability along the way and accountability, uh, people, um, that, you know, help keep him in check and he keeps them in check as well. Um, I think that's a recurring theme that we've seen, uh, is networking, finding people that are of similar mind, uh, as you, in terms of your goals and everything and kind of holding each other accountable to those goals. Um, so, you know, Steve gives a very fresh perspective on it, but you know, it's still a recurring theme that you've heard over the previous, what, 10 episodes now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We are on episode 11. Absolutely incredible. I am really excited for everybody to hear this episode, especially the fact that he's not just an investor. He also has this contracting business, um, which I know we didn't dive too deep into tonight, but, um, next week we actually will have, um, last week's guests, which was Travis and tonight's guest, Steve, um, they'll be on a, our first ever duo episode where they kind of get a little bit more into depth about, um, a deal where Steve's contracting business was able to step in and kind of save, um, a deal for, for Travis and make it work out. So I think that'll be a cool episode, but in the meantime, Steve's episode is absolutely inspiring and I am just excited for everybody to, to listen to it. So I guess we should just bring Steve in. Let's do it. Oh my gosh. Welcome, Steve. I have been wanting to have you on the Like Mind Investors podcast for so long. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. I'm so excited to be part of this podcast. I, I couldn't wait. I know. I was like, we, we gotta have, we gotta have you on. I feel like you were my first Instagram friend for real. Like however many years oh, wow. ago. Yeah, you were. I remember working on my first house hack and you were somebody that reached out to me through DM and you're like, great job. Keep going. I was, I think I was sanding hardwood floors and you were like, you're doing a great job. Keep going. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great memory for me. Yeah, me too. Me too. So we're going to start off with our, with our first question that we ask everybody. Um, just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you're doing with real estate investing and kind of how you got to where you are today. Awesome. So my name is Steve Stolman and I am 46 years old and, uh, I am a full-time real estate investor. That's my main gig. And I own a contracting company as well. And um, the style of investing that I like to use is long-term buy and hold. So, but I kind of pepper in quite a few things in there. So a little bit of everything, some wholesaling and uh, some flips. Yes. 
So what I think I would love to get into is because, you know, we, we, we kind of know each other and Bill, I know you guys just met, but by the end of this episode, we're all going to know each other so well, but mm-hmm. I, so I actually texted Steve, I think yesterday or something to ask him um, what his original goal was because he had this really, I, I couldn't remember exactly what it was, but now I know it's his 550 50 goal. I would love if you could dive a little bit into that goal. And um, I think that changed, right? If, if I'm not mistaken, that kind of changed over the, over the course of us knowing each other. I feel like it was a- Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so 550-50, it's, it's a big goal. It's a big, hairy, audacious goal. And I started that when I was 45. So again, I'm 46 now. So we're um, a year and a few months into it. My original goal was to get 15 rental properties in five years. So buy three at a time. And when I turned 45 on my birthday, a lot of times I reflect on what's going on in my life and I look at some goals. Um, I also do that at the beginning of the year in January at peak and peak, by the way, where the biggest real estate investment conference happens multi times a, a year at peak and peak. Um, so 550-50, I came up with that. And what is 550-50? So when I was 45, the first five stands for five more years. So in five years, I'm going to be 50 years old. So that's the first five and the 50. And I want to have $50,000 in um, net income per month. So 550-50. So five years, I'll be 50 and uh, be making $50,000 a month in net income. And I feel like you are pretty on track for that. Uh, I, I Honestly, it seems like you're going to way surpass that goal. Kind of lead us through that. Um, where are you at with that goal and kind of um, how many units do you have? And, and um, just walk us through, through that a little bit. Okay. Um, it's first, it's a, it was a big, it was a big goal. So it's, if you listen to the business books, like Grant Cardone, he's a big business coach and 10 X and all that, all that fun stuff that he talks about. So when I set that goal, I thought I need something big. And I need to just make it where my brain couldn't even get around it. I did when I set that goal, it was it was it was almost too much. But what I realized in my goal setting was let's take a take a, a step back to when I started real estate investing. I, I wrote a five-year plan. Every year we'd go back to the to the peak and peak table, and it's an important place. That's why I came up with the five-year plan. I would write down these goals. And I would realize the next year, I'm like, holy crap, I blew that out of the water. And I remembered, I reflected back on when I wrote that goal. And I thought, man, that was a big goal. I never thought I would achieve that. And then the next year I'd go back to, I'd write my goals and I'd relook at them. And when I went back and I thought, holy cow, I beat that one. Like I was achieving these goals by June. I'd write them in January and I'd achieve them by uh, June, July, August. And when I wrote them, they were just too crazy big. I thought, there's no way I'm going to do this. So I said, I need something big that's really going to test things for me. And I realized that there is, it's not just a, a linear growth. I knew that as we grow, things happen, you know, the universe helps out, not to get too far out there, but just when you really set your mind on 
these big goals, when you write them down and they seem huge, you work at them every single day. It's all of a sudden you accomplish them. So that's what, what's going on with five fifty fifty. Oh, I, it's just so inspirational. I feel like when we first met, I, I don't even know. I, so how many units do you have now? You said 50, okay. right? I may, I just looked this up because okay. I have this, I have a habit of just keeping my head down and working constantly. Yes. And we just picked up a bunch of other properties. So I thought I better get this spreadsheet together because Kira's going to ask me how many. Um, we, have, <laughs> uh, we have 27 properties all together right now. Out of those 27 properties, three of them are um, multifamily apartments. And so 24 of those are single family homes as of, as of today. So, wow. yeah, so 49 units is the unit, you know, people like to talk about doors, right? Cause that's a, that's a sexy way for us to say that we have more than we really have or something like that. So I have 49 doors with that number. 27 properties and 49 doors. Um, yeah. How long did it take you to get to that number is it did you start investing when you were 45 i so it's been about five years now so that okay. would put me at 41 okay so you started when you were 41 um do you think so i feel like um when we met it was like you you had the these goals that you wrote down all the time do you think that writing down your goals and actually like visualizing what you want for the future has really helped you actually attain this amount of units that you have now? Absolutely. With, without a doubt, you have to write them down. You have to have them somewhere that you can see them constantly. And um, you have to look at them on a regular basis. So writing them down has been, been huge for me. That's why I keep talking about the, where I wrote them at the peak and peak, because it's all of that clicked. And I remember sitting down at this big conference table and having this, there was special paper too. My, my wife had this stone paper and I just can visualize myself there writing them down. But absolutely having those goals is exactly why I'm at where I'm at today. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, <clears throat> so I only, I, I don't know, I'm not the best with like keeping up with my goals. And I feel like I get this this like jolt of energy at the beginning of the year. And, you know, Todd and I, my husband and I will go to breakfast and we'll write down all of our goals. And like, I'll look up like our previous goals that we had written down. And then I don't, we don't really look at them again until the following year. So is it something that you like, where do you have these goals where you are able to look at them, you know, more frequently than just (laughs) once a year at breakfast? So I, I do write them down on paper. And then on, I'm an Apple guy. So on my phone, I have a notes app on my Apple iPhone and I write down, I put all my goals into that uh, notes app under the year of the goal. And when I'd like to do them more. So I think it's important. Some your Grant Cardone again would say, you need to look at them every day and you should be rewriting. You should take a blank piece of paper on a pad and write it all down every single day. So I'm not that crazy excuse me but once a week once a week once a month quarterly excuse me again so I'm at least looking at them really carefully quarterly and then saying to myself all right what what direction are we in 
so, okay. So the goals. So would you recommend then, I feel like is your, do you kind of link part of your success to actually writing out your goals, knowing what you want and, um, at least looking at them more than once a year, like I do, (laughs) um, is that something that you feel like you would recommend to somebody that's looking to get into real estate investing, write out their goals and be specific about them? Absolutely. Absolutely. You need the, you, they have to be written out. You can't just have them in your head. Let's even take that a step back. Maybe you're, you have an idemic memory or something like that, or that you can just, you don't need to write things on paper. So you have to have goals and they have to be goals that push your limits a little bit. And you have to keep them in the, in the, the important thing is to keep them front, front of mind. So whether that means that you have to look at them on a daily basis, I think all the gurus would say, yeah, look at them every single day. Maybe you have a board of some kind that you could write it down on, but um, you need to keep those, you need a goal and then you need to keep that goal in the front of your mind. And you probably should check in on it monthly, if, if not quarterly. Quarterly, you should do a deep dive on it. You know, we just came into the fourth quarter of the year. So <clears throat> as soon as October 1st hit, I thought, okay, it's the fourth quarter. This is where I shine because real estate slows down. So, you know, everybody, it's like cold outside, it's raining. So uh, October 1st came along and I was like, yeah, fourth quarter. And all of a sudden my goals just popped into my head. And um, I remember typically in the fourth quarter of the year. So this is your last three months, your last 90 days you got in this month. So if you were trying to get a property in 2021, then you got 90 more days to get it well even less than 90 days to get it done oh that's a that's a moment i need to write down and we need to like replay that out to the to the listeners over and over and over again i think it's super important that um yeah every quarter at least you look at your goals i know i just said that i don't really do it that much but i think that that is so important to review your goals. Bill, do you have written out goals? I feel like I've never asked you that before. I do, but similar to you, like I don't look at them. And I think part of the reason I don't look at them is because I'm so new that they change so wildly drastically. Like what my goals were before I bought this property to when I bought it to now past the demo stage, it has wildly changed my perspective of my entire real estate like mindset. So, yeah. um, I, it's crazy for me. Like they're written down, but if I were to read them out loud, they would be like, they would make no sense to myself, let alone anybody else. I think that's a, I think that's a good question to ask you, Steve. Um, same, same with me, Bill. I feel like my goals change like so frequently that like, I'm, I'm like shiny object syndrome almost. And sometimes analysis paralysis sets in and I, Steve, I don't know. I feel like you, that doesn't happen to you. (laughs) I mean, or, or am I wrong? Do you ever get caught up in analysis paralysis or like shiny object syndrome, or do you stick to your um, strict, because obviously if, if you're looking for $50,000 in net income every single month, your goal is buy and hold, um, real estate. Yep. So kind of, um, can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. So Bill, when you said that your goals change, you triggered a thought in my brain about shiny objects syndrome. So 
and I had it like everybody goes through it, you know, the next thing, the next thing, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So one thing that I do is not only do I write my goals down, but I have, um, someone in, in my life, I try to find someone that has in a place in life that is where I want to be. So I sit down with this guy, his name's John and I read my goals to him. So we actually do this goal thing. We schedule a dinner in January. Uh, we sit down and he brings his goals. I bring mine and we talk about them. And John is a, uh, very successful businessman in the Cleveland area. And he is somebody that I look up to, you know, they're doing very well in life. So find your person, you have to have an accountability partner with it too, is where I'm going with it. So if you just write, if you just write something down and you're not looking at it, you need to look at it to keep you on track. So that way you can keep saying like, why did I write this down this way to keep you on track? And then you need this accountability partner that you have told your plan and um, they can tell you if it makes sense. You know, the great thing about John is um, he is, he's not a real estate guru. So he's in a different business class, you know, the class of business he's in. So he doesn't under he's not as knowledgeable about the things that we would, we talk about all the time. So I have to describe them to him and why they make sense. And then he'll, he'll call me out on it. He said, he'll say, Steve, I can remember this wording he used. He says, you have to focus on money making activities. Like, what are you doing with a, what about YouTube? What the hell are you doing with YouTube, Steve? He's like, you don't need to be, are you going to make money at it? And I'm like, well, some 12 year old kids are like making millions on it, John. And he's like, no, money making activity you're not doing a youtube channel and so the accountability partner goes hand in hand with writing your goals i could not agree more with the accountability thing um i have been meeting with an accountability group for over a year now and i just think that they have been it's just it's so nice to have somebody to go to to be like like am I on track? Am I like, here's what I'm doing. Am I doing the right things? Like, what do you guys think about this? And kind of like running deals and stuff by them. Um, I think it's super important as long as you don't rely, like as long as you don't rely on your accountability group to actually like push you, I feel right. like you, you kind of have to do it yourself no matter what, like, even if you're a part of accountability group, um, you know, they can, they can only take you so far. It's, it has a lot to do with your own motivation and inspiration and stuff like that. And, um, I feel like, let me ask the next question about that with, uh, your morning routine. Are you somebody that has a morning routine that kind of inspires and motivates your day? Yes, I Ooh. do have a good morning. Yep. I do have a morning routine. I wanted to, um, circle back onto uh, the shiny object syndrome, if we could for a quick yeah, second. Absolutely. And then we'll, we'll jump into the morning routine. I think everybody goes through that. Hey, what's the, I'm going to do, I'm going to flip houses. It's going to be great. I'm going to have a bankroll. And then they learn about wholesaling. I'm going to wholesale houses. This is going to be amazing. This is what I'm going to do. And then I'll buy and hold is the best thing. And now they're doing everything and accomplishing nothing. So you look at the end of the year, they wrote all their goals down and you've, you've accomplished a little bit on all of these things. And it's almost not measurable on paper at that point. So 
something that I work very hard at and I have to work hard at because me, like everybody else, I like to do a lot of things is I, I, I focus. And um, that's how I talk with my accountability partner about it. And my, I have a, a, a running buddy that'll go on to the morning routine. So I, my running buddy told me, he goes, you are so laser focused. He says, you know, what's really good about you. You're so laser focused. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, every time I talk to you about a house deal and how you would play it, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this house. And uh, guess what? It's going to be a buy and hold long-term buy and hold. I'm going to rent it out. And then he'll say, what about this house? That's going to be a long-term buy and hold for me. So I stay laser focused and that's an important thing to getting a result instead of, instead of trying to do everything, figure out what you're good at, like, or what you really like, and then just really work hard on that. I've really drilled down on cut the shiny object syndrome stuff out. I feel like that's super difficult <laughs> for a lot of people. You know, I, we've, we've known each other for a couple of years now and I have tried all of the different things and I finally feel like I'm getting back on track with what I should be doing and focusing on one thing. So that's, that's absolutely great advice. Um, you said you had a, you had a running buddy. Um, is, yes. Yeah. So is that part of something that you that you do like on a, on a weekly basis? Is that a daily basis? Kind of uh, walk us through a little bit of your, your morning routine and kind of how that sets you up for your day. All right. So running for me is right now, currently uh, four days a week. So I get up in, I get up in the morning. Um, my wife and I also bought a hot tub. It has been a long-term goal for me to own a hot tub. And some of the listeners out there might think like, oh, this guy is successful and he's got everything. Of course, he's got the hot tub. I wanted a hot tub since I was like 19 years old and I'm 46 and I finally bought a hot tub and I've saved for it for, for years. So before you get out there and you're like, oh, he's got all this money and all that crap, it's, I finally got the hot tub. So the way I wake up, I jump out of bed, I go downstairs, I get a cup of coffee and I jump into the hot tub. So that's, that's how I start every morning. Now I, um, I'm a zombie when I wake up. So it takes me a few minutes and I used to jump in a shower in the shower first, no matter what, if I was going to work out, I would jump in the shower first. So now I, I enjoy the hot tub. So I, I jump in the hot tub to wake up, um, four times a week I go running and running has been uh, amazing for for me to, that is where probably all of my big ideas happen. It's my classroom. I listen to podcasts. I listen to books. And uh, I think about all, all the things that are going on in my life. And if I ever have any really big juicy problems that I need to solve or that are aggravating me, usually on that run after I run for at least six miles on Sunday, I do a long run. So it's probably around 10 miles. And I think I'm going to do my wife was laughing at me. I said, I'm only going to run 10 miles. And I just said the other day, I'm going to run a half marathon on, on Sunday. And she's like, whatever. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm like you with the whole shower in the morning. I just wrote down a note, like get a hot tub. Cause that sounds amazing. Every morning I take like my parents, when I used to live with them would make fun of me. I take like half hour, like super hot showers every morning, no matter right. what. It's the best feeling. It's part of, I don't really have a morning routine, but that is, if anything, part of my morning routine. So 
I'm going to get a hot tub now. There you go. Awesome. Do it. Now, it's funny if you go if, to go to your hot tub place and ask them, like, can I have a hot tub? And they'll say, yeah, it'll be like a year from now because it's 2021 right now. The world is weird. So they can't get resin because uh, Texas froze over in March. So there's a long waiting list to get a hot tub. Oh, boy. It's yeah, almost like so. uh, RVs. <laughs> there's a long right. list for RVs right now, too. Yeah, there, yeah, there, there absolutely is. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's yeah. my morning routine at the moment. Running. I um we want to talk about some health stuff. Yeah, go ahead. With with running. So this is important stuff. So running for me is um that's how I keep some weight off. I used to be 70 pounds heavier. So um I think in that whole mindset thing too, taking care of your health, mental, physical, and spiritual. So the running portion that really, really helps me um, stay thin and in shape and really mental. If I couldn't run, I would probably struggle mental with my mental health part. Getting out there and being able to chew on those ideas and listen to podcasts and books are, are so important to me. And I get edgy if I'm if for some reason I get hurt or if I have a pain or something and I can't run for that day. I just broke my toe not too long ago at Home Depot. So I couldn't <laughs> run for a month. Wait, hold on. How did you break your toe at Home Depot? <laughs> I don't know if this will be a Home Depot sponsored ad. Uh, I love, that's my favorite store in the whole wide world. So let me preface it with, it's still my favorite store. Um, they had a lot, I was working on a house with my contracting company. I went to the store and uh, the something went wrong in there. I was in the trim aisle and I was trying to pull off a piece of uh, trim and they had, the rack was a mess. And I like touched it and the trim slid down and hit me right on my pinky toe on my right foot. And it was one of those things that I was like, that is going to hurt in about 1.2 seconds. And then I was like, oh my God, does that hurt? I'm like, holy crap. And I thought in my head, so I stopped. I said, I should probably go tell some of the store managers or something just in case. I didn't realize I broke my toe at this point. So I started walking and that shooting pain of a broken bone was like, yep, you broke your toe. And I didn't go tell the manager. I just walked out of Home Depot and it's my pinky toe. What are you going to do? Oh my God. That is... I am so sorry you broke your toe, but it makes for a good story. Got to have a story. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so Bill, did you have any questions? I, I love how in depth you went over with goals. I feel like we haven't had anybody on the podcast that kind of went into like the goal setting stuff, um, recently. So I love that you dived into that and kind of, or dove dived, which I'm not dived. sure what the, dove, dove. whatever <laughs> into that. Um, so Bill, did you have any other questions on like on, on goals and goal setting or morning routines or anything like that before we kind of make this conversation go in a slightly different direction? No, I think let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. All right. Sounds you know, good. How about that accountability partner? One quick thing to add, something important that I did is that, so I added this, that, um, as you progress in your career and you get to, I don't know if this has happened to you guys, is I have my construction company and we can talk about that for a heartbeat. And then the real estate company, 
And I've had such massive growth in both areas that all of a sudden, a few years back, I realized like, I can't have the same conversations of, with my friends that I used to. Like my, my normal friends don't get it. What is this, buying a house thing? Like, I don't get it. So I called this guy. I've known Mike since I was 17 and we kind of lost touch. But I, I was having a rough day. I had a few things go wrong. So I, I called him and we, I said to him, I was like, hey, you got a minute to talk. I just could use some good positive energy. and I need a good person to bounce some stuff off of. Mike is a real estate agent and he has a couple of uh, investment properties. So the cool thing that happened that day is Mike said the same thing. He was like, yeah, man, you know, this is pretty cool that we talked and we solved some problems. Let's go running. He likes to run. I like to run. We threw out a couple of problems that we were having. And this is on my last apartment that I picked up. We had closed on the apartment building and I hadn't been in it. I hadn't been there yet. So it's, it's weeks, like three or four. I've, we've owned this apartment building and I didn't go to the apartment building. So Mike, Mike just goes on a run and he, he, he says, hey, Tuesday at 10 o'clock, we're going in your apartment building, you and me. And the only reason I didn't go in there is I just, I had other things going on in my schedule. So it wasn't important. And then Mike had an issue on a house that he bought. And I said, Mike, that's an easy problem for me to solve. I said, I'm going to send my carpenter over there and he's going to fix it for you. <clears throat> so we quickly learned that we would share information with each other, problems, ideas, and something I say to him often is, hey, I got this idea of a direction that I'm going. Here's my way of thinking. Now pick it apart. I'm going to tell you what I want to do. Now pick it, pick it apart. Tell me why it's a bad idea. Tell me why I shouldn't do that. Tell me if my numbers are off base. Like, am I nuts here for thinking that I'm going to make a million dollars doing this stuff? And, you know, a lot of times Mike's like, you're nuts. Yeah, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. And then sometimes he's like, no, you're, that's a good one. You're right on track. So having that accountability partner is current in my life right now and, um, and consistent. Mike and I run at least once a week. We make a point to get together at least once a week. And we jump on a phone call probably every other day to just kind of check in and see. We talk, it's a lot of business. And I love it. I think we're recognizing another theme here. Um, so you're our 11th episode. Um, and I think a running theme here is having people like in your corner and having <clears throat> people to bounce ideas off of and networking. I think that that's like a huge, huge part of real estate investing. Like you can't do this on your own. You need you need people in your corner who are going to be like, yes, that's a good idea. No, that's a bad idea. <laughs> like, um, uh, that that's... you need like-minded investors. Exactly. Ooh, I love it. Ding. <laughs> the bell. I think that might be the, the mic drop moment in this, in this podcast episode. I feel like there's always one. Um, it, it but yeah, I like, I like how you brought that back around to like-minded investors. Sorry, Bill, Bill go ahead. I was going to say, did you do running theme on purpose? Yes, absolutely. It was all engineered. I thought this whole thing out. Because <laughs> Kier said running theme. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, Steve, this is so good. Um, yeah. People are important. So as you, as you wade through life, you, all right, so you, you become like the six people you hang out with. You want to see where you're going to be like in five years. If you, uh, hopefully you've heard that if you haven't. If you, if you haven't heard it, 
take a look at the five or six people that you hang out with the most, the ones that you pick up the phone and call on a regular basis and look at where they're at in their life because congratulations, that's where you're going to be in like five years. So if you're, you know, I, I say it to my tenants in um, downtown Cleveland in a, a, a tougher neighborhood. I tell them all the time. I'm like, you're hanging out with people who are drinking a lot, using drugs and going to jail. Like that's all normal stuff for you. Start hanging out with people that are like, we were at dinner the other night. My buddy was like, yeah, check out my new watch. It's like a $10,000 watch. And not that I'm, I'm not into that stuff. But those are the people you want to hang out with that it's you're like, how do I get a million dollar business or multi-million dollar business? You want to surround yourself with those people that are figuring that stuff out and not the ones that are hanging out on weekends, drinking and all that fun stuff. Oh, mic drop. Another moment. Another one. <laughs> yeah. Back to back. <laughs> Woo! No, I, I 100% agree. It's kind of like, um, I don't know. You want to, it's almost like keeping up with the Joneses in a good way. You know, if you surround yourself with the right type of people and who you want to be like at some point, um, keeping up with the Joneses isn't a bad thing. I feel like the saying keeping up with the Joneses sometimes is in a negative way, but if you're, if you're hanging out with the right five to six people, keeping up with the Joneses is the best thing possible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always thinking of my circle of friends. I'm, we have the, we talk about energy, right? And that might be far out for this podcast, but there's like, the, I, I, this is what I say when I have an interaction with somebody and the guys, on, the guys and girls on my crew, I say, are they, are they stealing energy or is it like uh, you're giving and taking, you know, you, you know, you get around those people that just drain you mm-hmm. and it's like, they're, they're taking, they're taking your vibe, your energy, whatever you want to call it. They're, they're stealing it from you. So you want to be around those people that when you walk away that you're like, yeah, I feel good. And uh, you want to be around those people that you're like, hey, what if I open up an, uh, a Walmart store? Do you think that's a good idea? Let's talk this through. And they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. How do we do that? Let's talk it through. Let's come up with a plan. So those that support is invaluable. It's right up there with writing down goals, You know, having people in your life that People in your life are either going to bring you down or they're going to bring you up. So be very careful who you're spending your time with. Ooh, I like that saying too. Absolutely. Could not agree more. Um, so I guess if we kind of don't have any more questions about that, I think that was a great like segment on accountability partners and, you know, having people, the right people in your corner and stuff like that. I kind of like to get into your deals that you have done. Um, You said what you had 49 units. I think that is absolutely incredible. (laughs) Congratulations on that. Thank you. It's crazy. Um, I think first let's talk about your, your most difficult deal. And then maybe we can get into like your most favorite deal that you've done. Um, I'm positive that, you know, like everybody we've had on this podcast, we all in real estate have, have ups and downs. Bill is sorry, Bill, you're currently experiencing a little bit of a down with your, with your live and flip. It happens. <laughs> it happens. Yep. Um, yeah. But I would love to know kind of what were, what were some of your biggest struggles? I think when you filled out like our questionnaire, um, for the podcast, you were talking about your first deal or your first flip. 
being your most difficult deal. Um, kind of walk us through that and why it was difficult and kind of what you learned from that. Sure. So my biggest struggle deal, I would say was my very first flip. It's actually the, it's the one that makes me think now, like I probably wouldn't flip again, although I have since then, but, um, it just, I was miserable in that, in that deal. And that's me picking up, you know, you have to be in tune with yourself. So that's me picking up. Like I was absolutely miserable through that thing. Now I can't put my finger. I don't I probably could, but, uh, the deal itself was great. You know, we made money on it, which was cool. We made a, a good chunk of change. So there's, um, maybe I just need to change my mindset on it. It was actually a good deal, and, but, uh, it was miserable slogging through it. Um, we bought a house. Uh, I had a partner in it. And we all decided like, we're going to flip a house. We're like, we're going to, we're going to make all kinds of money. We're going to flip a house. So we found a bungalow in seven Hills, Ohio is where it was called. And I think it was on an acre is either a half acre or an acre of land, which, uh, we're in Cleveland, Ohio. So to have a one acre lot is not common around here. Usually they're like 50 feet wide by like 150 feet long. So the vision was like, we could make this really cool, done right home solutions, my construction company, we've done this sort of work. And um, I just remember that, I remember learning that flips, flips versus making a rental, the flips have to be like perfect. You know, granite countertops, your soft closed cabinets, everything's gotta be princess perfect in that house. You know, showers gotta be just so, and the, the fun parts of it were I was able to try new ideas that I had some really cool ideas floating around. Um, but what I didn't like is the time frame it took. You know, we only did it with a crew of three or four people and it just took us forever to do it. Everything had to be princess perfect. And I just remember at the, at the end of that thing, uh, the pandemic hit. So the beginning of coronavirus hit my partners were, and I love my partners to death. My partners were anxious about that. The pandemic had hit. Oh crap. We're not going to be able to sell this house. We, um, we bought it for $125,000. We ended up selling it for like 240 or something. Those are rough numbers, like 240. And, um, we put, uh, we were all in at that house. We finished it. $200,000 all in with our purchase price and our, our re- rehab. So we put $80,000 into it. And, um, I remember walking away from that deal. I was just like, I'm never going to flip. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. So what did we make? We were all in at 200,000. We sold it for like two, I think we walked away with a check for 240. So I think we netted $40,000 and I thought that was close to a year of my life and I'm getting 20 grand out of that it just didn't the numbers didn't add up for me and the mental anguish so you said you have flipped since then though it didn't like deter you it didn't deter you from flipping so the flips that i have done now i would almost call a wholesale deal but i'll actually take title on them 
I do. I will still wholesale a house. We have a pretty good um, system in place for finding a lot of deals. And uh, so if, um, if I'm going to, if I don't want a house, if somebody comes to me and says, I want you to buy my house, which happens more often than not. And I say, okay. And then I think about the house. And I'm like, I don't want this house. I don't want this house for our portfolio, for the done right portfolio. So usually when I acquire a property, the very first thing I do is I, I tell everybody about it. So sometimes people are like, Hey, I'll buy that house. But if enough time goes on, I don't want to stiff. This is where I think wholesalers get it wrong. They'll let their contracts expire and they won't buy the house. So I'll usually buy that house. So this last one that we just did, I ended up um, closing on it. And then I really worked hard at finding a buyer and I was able to find a buyer. And that was amazing. That's a good one. Do I hear numbers? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Dive we in. Like, we, like, we like numbers, right? We love them. Um, yeah, that house, I uh, I picked it up for $21,200 and I sold it. it this is, yeah, isn't that crazy? Like people are going to be like, oh my God, where can I buy a house for 20? I just picked one up for 10. 10 what? And the lady brought me a card today. We didn't hear that story. Um, so anyways, this is the, uh, this particular house I paid all in $21,200. Um, we closed on it. It was a hoarder house. And it was packed with three 40 cubic yard dumpsters worth of stuff. And there were roaches, there were mice, I think there were bed bugs. And there was a pipe that had broken in the basement. So the, everything that was in the basement was wet. So, and I sold that house for $50,000. And I owned it for about 30 days, which was pretty cool. So 21-2, sold it for $50,000. And the person I sold it to, there's enough meat on the bone on that house. That house's ARV is probably going to be like 90 something or close to a hundred. So now they can take this house that I, I stuck, I cleaned up, took 40 cubic yards of crap out of, stopped the plumbing leak. And now they can go and make some money at it. They could put 20 into it, have a house for $70,000 and rent it out. It still makes sense. Or they can make some money and if they flip it. That's awesome. How much did you, uh, how much was it to, to clean out the, the property and, and fix the leak? So my 40 cubic yard dumpsters cost me about uh, 500 bucks a piece. There are three of them. So that's 1500 bucks. I paid a crew, Mario Smooth Holland. You might see him on Instagram. Uh, I paid him $3,000 to clean everything out. So 4,500 bucks, let's call it 5,000 all told. So I spent $5,000 on that house. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Wait, Steve. So, okay. You have your own contracting company. You do you, I thought, don't you have a dump trailer? I do. Okay. Was that your so own? Why didn't I use my dump trailer? Yes. <laughs> it's a great question. <clears throat> um, my dump trailer is, uh, I think I hold 16 yards in it. So I'm talking 40 cubic yards. You know, when you go by a construction site, you see the biggest dumpster you can get. I'm talking three of those, right? My little dumpster is um, 12 feet long, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that, 10 feet across. So it gotcha. only holds 16 yards. That's a lot of trips to the dump. Yeah. Yeah. And then it costs me 70 bucks to dump that dumpster. So right. if to cost my dump trailer. So I would have spent, I would have spent more money dumping it myself. And we always forget to do this. What's your time worth? 
So I didn't touch the debris in that house. I hired it out. That was I love the best that. 5, what's, your, what's your time worth? Um, that's something I feel like we need. I need to have a little lesson in. <laughs> but yeah. you are you're the reason that my husband wound up getting a dump trailer um, because it just you know, not for that size of a project, but for smaller projects, it just, it like more than pays for itself when, you know, you can just go to the dump once and spend that $70 per ton to dump it. But, um, yeah, you're definitely the reason that, that we wound up getting a dump trailer. Nice. That's probably my very, my most, my truck. So I have an F, I have a Ford F-150, nothing crazy. And my dumpster are my two most important tools. Yeah. And we do a lot of concrete work too. So that trailer comes, that trailer has transitioned from me wasting my time picking up garbage and houses and cleaning out houses to me using my trailer in the construction side, uh, on the concrete side and making, making it make us a lot of money. But yeah, that, uh, that clean out. So you think about it, they brought probably five guys to that house. They had it cleaned out in two days. So when I took possession of it, I couldn't, there's no way you could show, you couldn't even get in all the rooms. So like in those bedrooms, I, the one bedroom I could only, I, it baffled me. How do you pack a bedroom so much that you can only get the door open that much? Like I didn't get to look in that room. I had to stick my phone in the room and take a picture of what was in there. So that's where the smarts comes in. You get five, six guys, big dumpsters, and I didn't touch that thing. And the quicker I got it cleaned out, the quicker I could start getting prospective buyers in that property. And um, we sold it really quick. So do the math on that. We owned it for less than 30 days. I, me personally, I probably spent, I don't know, two hours of my time on that whole deal and sold it for 50 grand after buying it for 21 two. That was a pretty good deal. So you said that was, so how do you find these, these off-market deals? Um, you said that one was like a word of mouth type thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. How is how that, is that typically how you, how you find all these deals? Yes. And what I do is I tell everyone, all right, so let's, let's go back to, I started my construction company first before I was a, a real estate investor. When I was in my construction company, I knew I wanted to invest in real estate. So I said to every single person I met, I'm going to be a real estate investor. And I said it with conviction, like, I'm going to be a real estate investor. You just wait and see. Said it to everybody. I've never stopped doing that. Well, now I tell, I don't tell people I'm a contractor now. If you met me on the street, I would say I'm a real estate investor. So I tell that to everybody. How do I find these deals? Are you, is social media using you? This is Grant Cardone to quote the, uh, the author of this. Uh, are you, is social media using you or are you using social media? So if you look at my social media accounts, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. They are all geared towards rehabbing homes or purchasing homes or showing big checks on Instagram because people love to see 20 some thousand dollar checks. <laughs> Attention grabs. So I don't have pictures of, I mean, I'll put my dogs in there. I'll put my running stuff on my Facebook, but other than that, I'm all business. I have videos of what I'm doing. I'm, I'm cleaning out houses. I, I'm buying houses. I'm renting houses. I do a post, hey, Dunright Property Group is pleased to announce, blah, blah, blah. So when anybody in my town thinks about selling a house, 
I'm usually one of the people that they call now after doing that for the last five, six years. How have, how have you been able to fund all these deals? Um, I feel like with your exponential growth, I think a lot of people are going to be intimidated and be like, I can't do that. Um, so how are you kind of able to, to make that happen and, and fund all of these, these units that you have now? All right. So there's a, there's a mix of what's going on in my, uh, for, what are, where are we at? So 27 properties, 49 units. There's a whole, there's a mix. Um, the coolest one to say is I went and paid cash for a couple of them. Uh, I use private money. So that's a cool one to talk about. And um, I have partners on the apartment buildings are our partnership deals. So paying cash for one is a pretty simple one, right? You go and you write a check for it. How the heck did I get that kind of money, right? I, I, I don't come for money. I, uh, I'm not a rich guy and, uh, or at least I wasn't a rich guy. So every penny my construction company makes, and I, I started the construction company seven years ago. Every penny I made goes into real estate. So if you listen to rich dad, poor dad, Robert Kiyosaki would say you buy, you own businesses for one reason. Well, there's more than one, but for one reason you can buy real estate because real estate is the where the magic happens. So all the money that my construction company makes, I don't, I don't take a check monthly um, out of that. I don't, we don't live an extravagant life. So all that money goes into buying real estate. So every time I get an extra 50, $60,000, I pay for it. Private money. When I, my very first year in the construction company, I told everybody I was going to be a real estate investor. Guess what happens when you say that? People want to invest. <laughs> yeah. I want to invest with you. Oh my God. I want to be a real estate investor too. Can you add eight people that first year reached out, uh, eight customers of mine told me like, I want to be a real estate investor too. And if you find a deal, let me know about it. So, um, my private money person, people are, they were customers of mine first and they were also real estate investors and still are today. And when I, we got to know each other and when it came down to it, they were like, man, you're going to do awesome and blah, blah, blah. I listened to all those podcasts and I learned about private money investing and hard money investing. So you want to hear the story, how I got my private money investor? It's a good one. Yes. I think, yeah. I, I think I know this one, but I would love if you share it with everybody else. This is good content right here. <laughs> so they hired me to build a batting cage in their basement, a batting cage in their basement. Think of that, right? We're not talking like a little batting cage to fit in this room. Their basement's big enough to uh, where you can, where their, their youngest daughter can pitch, get a softball in there. You can hit a ball, whatever you want to do full size. So I screwed up with the construction company. I forgot. We AstroTurf this whole thing. And I didn't realize. So I ordered the AstroTurf for it. And I didn't realize how heavy it was. And I it found out that that roll of AstroTurf was like 500, 600 pounds. So um, the husband in the relationship is a wrestler, is really into wrestling. So he's no problem. We're going to get out. We're going to get 12 guys and we're going to carry it like a wrestling mat. So later that, after we did that, the uh, owner of the house that I built the batting cage for and his buddy were at the bar. He has a bar in his basement and they were enjoying a beer. 
And um, the owner said to his buddy, they, they started talking about money and big money. So he says, hey, did you, did you get that thing with the bank? And uh, I'm listening in why they're, I'm not really part of the conversation. I'm just kind of listening in. I'm, the, I'm just a construction guy, you know? So I'm listening in. He's like, yeah. He goes, yeah, I told my bank. He goes, if I give him $500,000, if I write my, if I give my bank $500,000, they'll give me like 3% interest in my savings account. And I laughed out loud. I couldn't control myself. I laughed. And they looked at me like, what are you laughing at? Hey, construction guy, what are you laughing at? I said, you're losing money. He goes, what do you mean? I'm making 3%. I said, no, inflation is four at the time. I said, you're losing a percent. Money gets old when it sits around. What the hell are you doing? Letting he goes, well, what do, you, what do you do? And I said, if you give me, I said, you give me $50,000, I'll give you 10% on it. I'll pay you every month. And he was like, let's talk more. So then I taught them how to be a private money investor. And, um, that was fun because I pretended like it was my money. I got lawyers involved. Of course you need, you should have lawyers do this. I asked my lawyers, I said, how do we do this? How do I protect their money? Like it's my own money. If I die tomorrow, my old boss, Joe Beatnik used to say that if you die tomorrow, I better be able to pick up where you left off. So I said, if I die tomorrow, they need to get their money back. Like, how does that, how do we do that? So we went through and did, we do mortgages, promissory notes, and insurance on the, um, on those uh, loans. And uh, I taught them how to be a private money investor. And then guess what they do? Hey, neighbor, guess what? I know you got a lot of money too. Listen to what this dude's doing. He, we give him 50 grand, 60 grand. He gives us 10% interest. Isn't that cool? And guess what the neighbor says? I got a couple hundred thousand dollars. You think he'd do that with me too? So they brought me another investor. And I asked that investor, I remember having the conversation. I said, I think I need $15 million was, was my ask. And I ended up getting like 250,000, um, a commitment, not a check. I got a commitment for 250,000 from him. How about that first story? That is like so inspiring. I feel like it's, it's again, the common theme of just telling everybody what you're doing and uh, not that you should be eavesdropping on converse, conversation, Steve, but <laughs> it worked yes, out you for should. you. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> um, it's going to help you get your first, your first private money lender. Um, no, but I think that is an amazing story. And it just goes to show, like, I, I feel like probably like 50% of the episodes, everybody's like, just tell everybody what you do. And anybody and everybody who will listen, tell them what you do, right. what your goals are that you're in real estate and cause real estate is sexy. People want to invest in it and right. they may not have the time, but if they have the money, um, you know, kind of like how it happened to you, they, especially if they're only getting 3% in the bank, they could be getting 10% with, with somebody like you. So I think that that's super yep. important, um, to touch on. And now, Inflation's a lot high. I don't even know the number now, but it's like over five. I've heard somebody said it was 10% the other day, which I don't know that I believe, but I'm sure it's over 5% right now. And then when the stock market takes a dive, so the, the second private money person, I was able to, so I had money in the stock market. I, I probably had like, I don't know, I had a Roth IRA. I've always worked for somebody. So I have a Roth IRA and I had a standard IRA. So I had like a 
hundred thousand hours or something in an IRA. And I, I, I looked at the stock market and I realized I have zero control in there. And I used to trade, I, I taught myself how to trade options, long story, but at any rate, um, I had Apple would put out their earnings report and I would have an option or I'd own Apple and it would be a great earnings report and Apple stock would go down because it wasn't good enough. And I said, what I, I'm putting all my eggs into something I have zero control over, like nothing. I can't do any, I can't go to Apple's boardroom and be like, listen, you guys get it together. We need to get the stock price up. Like you can't do that. On real estate, you can go and swing a hammer or you can clean a place out. Like you have a lot closer to full control of that deal. So in that private, this is a private money pitch. When you talk to somebody, they always have money in an IRA so they can, they can use a self directed IRA. I don't have anybody doing that, but they can lend that money to you. And you can always talk to them about that. Like you have zero control. And what do you know about the stock market? They have zero control over that. Wouldn't you like to have a little more control on your money with a guarantee? Like if, if I don't pay you this loan, you're going to be able to buy, you're going to be able to own a hundred and some thousand dollar house for 50 or $60,000. Like, doesn't that sound how do I sell it? I'm like, who's not going to buy that house for 60, $70,000? It's worth a hundred, 120. Like, come on now. So funny. Um, my husband and I just went to dinner with my sister and her husband the other night, and she was talking about the stock market and I'm like slowly trying to get her into investing in real estate. And I, I, I almost the exact same pitch. I told her, um, not that I was pitching her for money, but I was just kind of like, um, you know, if you're so worried about, about the, the, um, stock market, why don't you invest in real estate where there's an actual like asset backed thing that you will own if for some reason something were to happen? Like you still have at the worst case scenario, if the building were to burn down, you still have that land value. Like you're not right. out a hundred percent of, of, you know, your investment of what you put into it. So uh, I'm totally on the same page as you. Good. I love it. Yeah. Got to have control control. So I want to circle back and ask you a question about contracting. And it obviously has a lot of synergies to investing and, and obviously you have some knowledge. So just kind of wanted to pick your brain on, on where it has helped you as an investor and if it has ever hurt you as an investor. Ah, good question. I never thought of it. If it hurt me, you know, we just finished talking about money and I want to say this, Money is the easiest part of this equation. So if you're a newer investor and you want to get into real estate investing and you, probably the first thing that you're thinking about is the hardest part is where do I get the money? That's the easiest. There's so much money out in this world that I bet you I could go out within a couple of days. I bet you I could go find another investor pretty quickly. You know, you find that great deal. The, the money will follow. You've heard that all the other smart people have said that. And it's the, I believe it is the truth. Money is, you can create your own money. So wholesaling deals, you can create your own money with no money in your pocket. You can create your, your own money. So you don't have to have, the money is the easiest part. Contracting to go full circle, Bill, to answer your question. So I, I engineered this thought is I think the hardest part of real estate investing so the, I think the barrier to entry on contractors, like a, um, 
Carrillo, who doesn't know anything about contracting, can borrow my pickup truck and some, throw some tools in the back and say she's a contractor. So it's pretty easy to uh, to um, to say you're a contractor. Where it's helped me is I I know now I know how to rehab a house. I I we today could build a house. So and we're trying actually that's our next frontier. We're actually looking at vacant lots in the city I live in. And oh, working cool. with the um, yeah, we're working with the um, the mayor on it, which is pretty cool. So we could build a house today. We have the we have the skills, we have the crew. We could build this house. Um, that helps me because I can go into I can walk through a house and I can figure out pretty quick like what is it going to take to to rehab this house? What can we do? I have the connections, so I don't do hardwood floors anymore because there's so much work. So I know the hardwood floor girl. Um, I don't know that it hurts me. I, 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 it's definitely an asset. Contractors can, I'm gonna be careful with this. I'm not gonna say it that way. Um, but the contracting portion can really make a mess of, of your deal. There are some, you have to be careful. You as the investor need to really drill down and have a conversation with your contractor and you need to be realistic. It just happened to me today on an, with another investor. I quoted some driveway work on his point. Do you guys know what point of sale reports are? Mm -hmm. Do you have that? So the, the authority, the city comes in and says, you must fix this. You must fix that. So we, I, we got a call. Hey, go look at this cement work that the point of sale is called out. The city wants this fixed. So I go over there. The sheet that they send me, I measure it out. It's $7,000. And uh, then they said, no, 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 no. They don't want all of that. They only want what needs to be done. They only want this. So I look at it again and I'm like, all right, it's $3,500. That investor got mad at me. He got so mad at me because he's like, can't you get a handyman to go pick up some uh, concrete from Home Depot and just fix it? So why was it? Why was that investor mad at me? Let's break that down. Why was that investor mad at me? Any because, ideas? Yeah, because they didn't like look at and analyze and notice that probably before. They probably have never yeah. run into that problem before, so they don't have any historical knowledge on how much something like that would cost. Right. And also, it's just straight up bad news, and it's easy to lose your cool one sometimes when you get bad news. Yeah, and that's okay. I don't mind. People get mad at me all the time about stuff like that. But where that guy went wrong... And I dissected it. Where that guy went wrong is he analyzed the deal incorrectly. He thought that he could go to Home Depot and get a bag, get a fifty dollar, get a five dollar bag of cement and fix this problem. And I just threw thirty five hundred dollars at him. So, a lot of us contractors get a bad rap. And in this case, that guy's probably going and using some bad words to his friends about me and the contractor that tried to rip him off. When in reality, that guy didn't plan. You know, he didn't analyze that deal correctly. And I think actually that happens more often. Now, there are contractors that, that do bad work. Um, there's a podcast coming up where we might even talk about that, where a contractor has done some bad work for another fellow investor, and we had to jump in and bail them out. So that does happen as well. Yeah, we actually, um, I think you're talking about Travis. We are going to have yep. him on next week's episode, which will, um, you guys will learn a little bit more about him. And I'm excited because we do also have an episode with Steve and Travis where 
Uh, they chatted about how Steve had to jump in and and help Travis with with the contracting portion, at least of of the renovation. So I'm super excited for that episode. Um, I'm kind of glad you alluded to that. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited too. I told Travis when we were working on that deal, we're not going to dissect the whole thing here, but I we we got him over the hump on it, and I looked at him and I said there's a podcast or there's a book in this and people need to know what you just went through and how you recovered and where you're at today with that property. So that's a really, it's going to be a good episode to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I told Bill, I'm like, when we first started this podcast, I'm like, okay, we have to have Steve as an episode. We have to have Travis as an episode. And then we have to have them both together because they have such an incredible story. So I'm excited, um, um, for that episode. But, uh, my gosh, why, why does the time fly by bill when we are chatting with these people? Like I have so many more questions for you, Steve, but I just, I don't want to go like too much more over time. Um, but bill, do you have any burning questions for Steve before we get going? No time flies when you're having fun and every episode so far has been super fun. So my last question then I have is. Um, and I feel like I've talked to you a lot about this because, you know, we've sold a couple properties over the past couple years. Some of them, I wish that we had never sold, um, you know, because, you know, our goal too is buy and hold and the passive income and all that stuff. So, um, you know, your goal with the five fifty fifty, um, what has propelled you to actually wholesale deals and do a couple flips instead of like keeping everything for yourself? That's a great question. And I get asked it often. So you would think um, I would keep everything. My deal flow, it's funny all year. So it's 2021. So all year long, we tried to buy properties and we, we weren't successful. And last month we got under contract for last month and this month, nine, nine new properties in a month's time. So that right there, I think should answer your question because I don't have the bandwidth. I don't know if the area would support the bandwidth to rehab nine properties. When COVID hit, we bought in the last quarter of the year, we ended up buying like four or five or six. Remember the whiteboard? I still have the whiteboard. You can't see it's off camera. All the properties we bought. So I made, I learned because as an investor, you're going to do something, screw it up and learn from it. Right. So what I did is I, I my mistake was I, I, ha- I let property sit for too long and um, some of them up to a year. And uh, the thing with wholesaling is you're print you're printing your own. The first time I did it, you're printing your own money legally. You're making money out of thin air. So if you wholesale a deal, wholesaling is you uh, you go and find a seller, you get that house under contract and then you find somebody that wants to buy that contract from you, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, and you make a pro- you're a middleman between two people on a deal. So you don't put money into it. You might not put time like, and usually the, I've made as little as $5,000 on a wholesale deal and people like big numbers. So I've made as much as um, close to $30,000 on a wholesale deal. So it just depends on where we're at with that. And most of those wholesale deals have taken me minutes to very few hours to, to do that. 
So if you look at your return on investment, it's like infinite because you don't have any money in the deal. You got a very, you got a few hours in time um, if you have that deal across your desk. So it's a big chunk of cash flow. Um, the reason that I wholesale those deals <clears throat> is because I have a, I'm laser focused. If you haven't learned that about me, I know exactly what I want in exactly the areas that I want them. So I will, and I'm doing this now. I just, we just are under contract on nine new properties. And one of them's a four pack, um, but I'm very particular. I only buy certain houses in this very particular area. And it takes a lot for me to deviate from that area. That's an interesting one. We could, if you got a quick second, I could tell you about one that I'm deviating from. Yeah, dive yeah, into of it. Of course. All right, so why do I wholesale? Or why do I sell any of those houses? Just because they don't fit um, my perfect criteria. My accountability partner, so I had, um, a customer called me up, said, hey, Steve, you worked on my house. I really like your um, how you did things. My mom is in a nursing home. We need to sell her house. Would you be interested in buying it? And I said, yeah. And all this time, I thought she was talking about my area because that's where she lived. Next thing you know, she's like, yeah, meet me over here. And there's the same street in my area, but it wasn't where this house was at. So I go to the east side of Cleveland. Now, not East Cleveland because that's some guys do very good in East Cleveland, but it's like a war, what you would call a war zone. Now, I'd, I'd probably wear a bulletproof vest over there. East side of Cleveland's get closer to East Cleveland. So I call up. I don't know. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I know who the smartest guys and girls in the room are. On my way to that house, I picked up my phone and I called everybody who I could think of that knew that area. And I said, what do I need to buy this house for? So we all talked about it. I go into the house and I look at it and I, I said to the lady, I says, um, after looking at everything, my offer is $10,000. And I said, it probably should be nine or eight. And she's like, oh my goodness, you would pay me $10,000 for this house. So we got a deal, got $10,000 house. So I call up my, my accountability partner, Mike, the runner. So Mike, guess what? I got this house under contract for 10 grand. Marlon wants to buy it for 30 grand. I'm going to make 20 grand in a, in a minute. And um, Mike's like, hold on there, big shooter. He's like, it's 10 grand. He goes, what if you section eight at that house and uh, got a thousand dollars a month rent on it? He goes, you just started using a property manager. He goes, here's what you do. You throw the keys to the property manager and say, I don't want to hear anything about this house. Get it rented for $1,100 a month. I'll clear a thousand and off and running. That's why it's important to have an accountability partner. I was going to sell that house for 30 grand. Now I'm going to rent it for $1,100 a month on a $10,000 investment. And I'm not going to touch it. That's, that's the beauty of it because none of this, the most important thing is time. So I'm going to let my property manager, my new property manager is going to handle that deal for me. She's going to rent it and I'm, I'm going to collect a little bit less money, but she is going to rent that baby and it's going to cash flow very well. Then when I get a tenant and they're paying $1,100 a month, now the house isn't worth, I could easily sell that house today for 30. Get a tenant and they're paying $1,100. What do you think the investors, another investor is going to say? 2% rule, right? You're getting $1,100. I would pay you 55,000 for that house. So I probably won't sell it. I'll keep the cash. I like little oil wells. So Wow. 
That is absolutely, (laughs) yeah, a a deal for sure. I am so glad that you shared that. Um, Oh my gosh. I can't even, what was that? What what was the, did you have to negotiate for that $10,000 or did you just throw that out? And the seller was like, yep, I'll take it. I did not have to negotiate. She thought I was going to pay her less. So I just threw it out. Actually, I over, I, I thought about it. I, I talked to Mike, my, my, my accountability partner on the way over there. And I said, I need to, I think I need to be in the single digits on this house. And the first words out of my mouth were is like, I'll pay you $10,000. And she was like, Oh my goodness, you would pay me 10. She was like, you would pay me $10,000 for this house. Wow. And I was, I thought, crap, I should have said nine or seven but I mean what's the difference over yeah what's the difference right yeah listen to this I just got the keys for that house today before I ran up here Carol and I were outside she brought us a card a handwritten card thanking us for taking this house off her hands for ten thousand dollars and there's a restaurant gift card in there for us so anybody on there that's like you stole this house from that lady or anything we we were we're not in the, we are in the business of solving problems for people. That woman's name is Frida. Frida had a big problem on her hands. So we solved that problem for her. And she was so thankful. She brought us a card with a gift card in it. This is why we have these people on the like-minded investors podcast, Bill. I don't know if you see this, but it's a recurring theme. I feel like everybody that we have had on this podcast Um, they first and foremost care about the people and the sellers that they are trying to help. It's not like they're trying to get the absolute best deal possible. Just like you said, Steve, you probably could have got it for a couple thousand dollars less, but that's not, that's not like your, your end goal. I, oh, I just, I love it. I love all of these like, like like-minded folks that we have, we have on this podcast. I feel like everybody is in it for the right reasons and is just contributing like to the, the positivity of real estate investing. Cause sometimes I don't know if you guys feel this way, but sometimes I feel like, especially flippers, I feel like, um, they get kind of a a bad reputation, you know, for just putting lipstick on a pig and just wanting to make as much money as possible. I feel like um, this podcast, everybody we've had on so far is just showcasing the fact that that is not true. Like you guys, you are in it for the right reasons, Steve. Yeah. Thank you. How about landlords now? That's an interesting topic. Like people are, there is some real hatred towards landlords. So, um, but yeah, we went with the construction company, any of my businesses that I own, any of those deals, I always have felt that they're in wholesaling deals too. I know I'm jumping around on topics here a little bit. I always have felt that there's a way for us to all come out and have a win-win Everybody can walk away happy. You know, there's that old thought process that nobody walks away from a good deal happy. Like a good deal is both parties are a little bit upset about it, right? But I always have felt in my business dealings, I'm like, we can all we can all do good here. We can all make a little money together. I don't have to be a robber baron to make it all, right? What if I, I mean, what would another thousand dollars less on that house be to get in the single digits? Like in the scheme of things, who cares? Yeah. Yeah, you'll yeah. make so, it back in a month. And right. Uh, yeah. I think, um, and the, the, I touched on the wholesaling part of that really quick. Something I think where where I do wholesaling right 
where I hear a lot of people do things wrong with that wholesaling thing. That's an important one is be, you can be transparent in that deal. You can tell people that I'm going to put your house under contract and either myself and you better buy that house or my, my business partner, my buddy, my friend, whatever you want to call it. Like you can do this stuff. You can be honest. You can be transparent. And usually people are not honest about it because they are afraid. They're afraid to tell those people what they're doing. They're not confident. They're not, they don't have the confidence of it. And the world revolves around, I put that in my show notes. The world revolves around my, this is my quote, one from Steve Stolman. The world revolves around communications, contacts, and confidence. So have the confidence to say that to somebody like, I'm going to broker this. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you get rid of your house. I'm going to find another buyer for it. And I'm going to make a little money in between. Does that sound okay for you solve your problem and make some money? Can I make some money off, off of this, right? Because you don't know how to find deals as good as I do. Or you don't know how to find a good, good. you weren't able to find this deal. I'll sell it to you. I'm going to make some money on it. Be transparent. Like maybe yeah. they'll want to do more with you for, because I find that people are, want to do business with me because I am honest and transparent. Yeah, there's yeah. enough money in this in this business for everybody to kind of make some, whether it's the appraiser, contractor, wholesaler, purchaser, seller, whoever it is, there's enough money that goes around. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we don't have to be, you don't have to be dishonest. And there's a lot in this business. There's a lot of people who are, they're not being honest. They're not being kind. And uh, that's how I try to live my life. You know, I, I probably sound like a hippie now with the energy stuff and the, and the be honest and kind and stuff, but treat people well. No, that's, that's what we're all about. And that's mm -hmm. why we asked you to be on this podcast. Like we're not going to ask anybody who we feel, um, you know, doesn't treat people the right way. And is I, you're so authentic and you're so real and like you, you truly want to help people and, um, I think that's been a characteristic of a lot of the people that we've had on this podcast so far. So we appreciate you, um, taking the time to talk to us tonight. Um, so I guess we'll wrap it up here, even though I feel like I could, we could probably talk for another couple hours. Um, yeah. but if you want to kind of pitch, uh, well, you don't really have much to, you know, you're not like a coach or anything or selling courses, but where can people find out more about you and reach out to you? Um, and, uh, kind of give us the, the rundown on that. All right. So my main, the best way to find me is on Instagram and it's, uh, under my contractors company handle. So it's at done right home solutions there's an underscore in between each word then my uh, i do have a facebook and you're welcome to follow along there i have a business facebook but uh my personal one is what i found where i get the most followers and that's where i get the most deals from so steve stolman is uh my personal page and i am, like i said i'm a runner and my uh if you're looking for me i have a picture my profile picture is me doing this after a spartan race so I like the race Spartans. Um, I thought about, I have thought about coaching. I thought I've recently thought about like, why don't people ask me more about this? Why isn't somebody calling me up and being like, Hey, can I follow you around for a day? Can I jump in your truck and just spend time with you for the day? So I've been thinking about that. 
So if somebody wants to hang out with me to pay me for it, because I'm not giving it away for free, but if somebody wants to learn about what I do and spend some one-on-one -on -one time with me, I would, I would think about that. I don't have a coaching program or anything like that, but it's just something I thought of. There's a lot of knowledge up here to share with people and a lot of crazy ideas. We, uh, Bill, maybe you and I should team up and, and go out to Cleveland and follow him around for a couple of days. I would love nothing more than that. I have a friend who absolutely loves Cleveland and she speaks very highly of it. So I would love to get out there. Um, so maybe that would be in the cards someday for sure. Yeah. Come on down or the peak and peak real estate conference. We can meet halfway or something like that. Yes. Yes. Peak and There's peak. nothing in Cleveland. Don't quit talking about Cleveland. Don't go looking here. Okay. There's nothing Cleveland in Cleveland for sucks. you. Folks. <laughs> Yeah, there there's, there's no 10,000 deals. deals are awful. They don't make any East, money. No, there's no money to be made here. East Cleveland is where you want to look. Check out East Cleveland. That's the place that all you other investors should look. Don't be looking in Cleveland. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Um, this was an amazing episode. I'm sure people are going to love it. Thank you for being on tonight. Um, and I'm really excited again to release next week's episode with you and Travis and kind of dive into that aspect of your real estate investing. Thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute riot. This was my first podcast ever. Oh, yes. So we, we forgot for to mention that. We forgot, <laughs> Bill. I was going to say, we I actually did. wrote it. I was like, we need to write it or we need to say it. We are popping Steve's podcast, Cherry. We are so excited to be your first. This was, this was, you're incredible. You're going to be on a million more. Ah, uh, that's awesome. I'm so excited. What right. a great podcast you guys put together. I'm so, so excited. Thank you so much for having me. And this oh, is a wonderful gosh. first introduction to being a podcast guest. Yes. We loved having you. Thank you so much, Steve. Have a great night. You're welcome. Thank you.